Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Rez. Uh, it's good to be worshiping with you once again. Uh, we, uh, I'm excited today because not only are we worshiping together uh, on this Sunday morning, but we're also uh, excited about the event that's happening this afternoon, which I know we're going to talk about in the announcements, but uh, it's, I'm just so excited for the blessing of the animals. If you don't know anything about the blessing of the animals, it might be a little weird to you, but uh, I promise it'll be a lot of fun. It's our way of celebrating the feast day of St. Francis. If you're not familiar with feast days, it's a part of like the Anglican liturgical tradition. Feast days are days in which we, we set aside to remember and honor uh, famous or well-important uh, uh, saints in the life of the church, like St. Francis. Uh, we just celebrated his feast day this last week, and so in honor of that, we're going to have this blessing of the animals where we come together, uh, bless any of the pets that come, any animals that might just show up at, as well, who knows, but we encourage you all to come and join us at Luster Pearl at 2 p.m. this afternoon. Uh, if you remember from a long time ago, all the way back at the beginning of the summer, we began our time in the Gospel of Luke uh, during this ordinary time season, right? So we've been spending a lot of time in Luke even though we didn't, didn't necessarily preach on it every single week, the, lection, the lectionary almost never strayed from giving us a passage from the Gospel of Luke. And all along the way, uh, as we've been kind of covering Luke, I've noticed some interesting things. For instance, if you remember from when we first started in Luke's Gospel, one of my introductory comments about Luke was what? Luke was all about fulfillment, right? Do you remember that? Jesus, the Messiah King, came into the world to fulfill the Missio Dei that was inaugurated by God in the Old Testament. Luke frames his entire gospel around this idea of Jesus fulfilling the Missio Dei of the Old Testament. This is why we keep coming back to that, that scene in the synagogue in Nazareth with Jesus that happens at the beginning of Luke, right? That story highlights Jesus' connection to God's mission and his own fulfillment of that mission. And I bring this up today because you might have noticed some similarities in our, in our Old Testament reading and our Gospel reading, if you were listening closely. In 2 Kings, we have this story of a healing from leprosy. In Luke 17, what do we have? A healing from leprosy, a story of a healing from leprosy. In both stories, Elisha and Jesus send the lepers to go do something in order to fulfill their healing. For Naaman, in our Old Testament reading, he had to go wash in the Jordan River seven times. For the ten lepers, they had to go to the temple to present themselves. In both stories, neither Elisha nor Jesus laid hands on the lepers or anything like that. It was all about this going and doing something and following these instructions. Something is happening here in these stories. Something is happening with this Jesus who is healing lepers in the way of the prophet Elisha, one of the greats of the Old Testament. The Missio Dei, the mission of God, is at work in both of these stories. And these stories reveal something about the nature and character of this mission that God has inaugurated, both in this story from 2 Kings and, the, and in the person of Jesus as he heals the ten lepers. 
And so I just want to focus on a few simple themes from these two stories and how mission is expressed in these two stories. First, and and probably the most obvious point to make here, is that the Missio Dei, the mission of God, has everything to do with healing. God's mission to the world is about healing. The stories of Naaman and the ten lepers aren't just stories to display the power of God through Elisha and Jesus for some other end or purpose. These aren't a means to an end. God's heart for the world is its healing. For those of you who have been involved in the Send class over the last couple of weeks, you'll know that this is one of the central points to what Father Sean has been teaching about mission. Mission is about God renewing all things. God is renewing all things. The scope is comprehensive. It includes the salvation of souls and the renewal and healing of bodies, as we see in our stories for today. God's mission to the world is on display here in these miraculous stories of healing. And I don't want to gloss over this reality because sometimes we get caught up, so caught up with, with what's going on in the world and in our lives and in the church. And it's hard to discern that there's these simple opportunities for healing right in front of us. So maybe the word for us today is a simple world. How do we need to be healed What opportunities for healing exist in your life right now? Healing in your body. Healing in relationships. Whatever it might be, today we proclaim the good news of the kingdom that God's mission includes our healing. We are invited to come like the ten lepers and say, Jesus, Master, have mercy upon us and find healing there. The second observation from our readings this morning, especially in our Old Testament reading, which, y'all, I love this Old Testament reading. If you, I, I encourage you to go home and read it again and again. But the observation that I was noticing in, in this reading was that the kind of healing that we are invited to in the kingdom of God is a healing from power and from control. Second Kings chapter 5 is a story of a commander of the armies of the enemies of Israel. The Aramites at the time occupied the land that what we know now is to be Syria. And Naaman, it says in verse 1, was a great man and in high favor with his master. He was a mighty warrior and held in high esteem because of all the battles he had won for the Aramites. He only had one problem. He had leprosy. Because of the nature of this disease, Naaman would have normally been considered ceremonially unclean and socially ostracized, like the ten lepers we encounter in our reading from Luke. But it seems from the story that Naaman's power and prestige as the successful commander of this army afforded him some freedom from being ostracized, even though he was a leper. Because of his power and prestige, he was able to circumvent the normal social and religious barriers of leprosy. But his power and his prestige ultimately could not heal him of the disease. We see this power and prestige and control on display even further. Naaman keeps going with this. As he begins his journey of faith and healing, he seeks out Elisha. And what does it say in the text? In verse 5, which we actually skipped over, I just want to read it to you. 
Naaman, it says that Naaman left to go visit with Elisha, and he took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. And then in verse 9, it says that Naaman pulled up to Elisha's house with horses and chariots. Naaman was coming to impress Elisha. He was coming with all of his power and wealth on display so that Elisha would be amazed and would heal him. Naaman was using his power and his prestige to do whatever he could do to control the situation. He was ready to buy his healing. And Naaman didn't like Elisha's initial response. If you heard it in the text, he didn't like Elisha's response to him to all this pomp and pageantry and the horses and the chariots and the gold and silver. Elisha didn't even come out to meet him. He only sent a messenger giving him the instructions for healing. It says that Naaman became angry and said, I thought that for me he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord and he would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Naaman was still holding on to power here. He wanted the healing done his way. Whereas I'm pressing this point about Naaman and power and control because I actually think this is a fundamental struggle for you and I today. We want power and control in our lives, don't we? We're often blind to the ways in which we wield it to the harm of others. Just thinking about this this week, you can just ask Bliss, my wife, about this last week I got sick with strep throat and had to make all of these huge adjustments to my normal routine just because I had this sickness, right? And it wasn't pretty. I wanted control over my week. I wanted to do the things I wanted to do, and this strep throat just took me out completely. Or even this morning as I was waking up to practice my sermon a little bit, I struggled with control as both of my twin boys decided they wanted to wake up at 5.30 and play. Like Naaman, we want power and control in our lives, even when it comes to our own healing. But today we, we proclaim the good news, Rez, that God has come not to heal only our bodies, but also our desire for and our dependence on power and control in our lives. Naaman's story is our story in all of the ways we try to use power and prestige and influence to be in control. Naaman's healing extends far beyond his leprous skin. And we see in these three words that he utters to Elisha as he returns from being healed in the river. These three words signify so much in my mind of what, of what his response was. He says, now... I know. Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except Israel. There's something in those first three words that speaks volumes to the healing that Naaman experienced in the River Jordan. Now I know. They're the words of someone on the other side of healing from that desire for control in their lives. Healing from the leprosy, but also healing from this obsession with control and pride. This story of Naaman reminds me of the story of Paul's thorn that he got, that he shared in his letter to the Corinthian church. Do you know the, the, the story of Paul's thorn in, in 2 Corinthians 12? We don't know exactly what the thorn was 
that Paul had in his side, if it was an ailment or a sickness or an injury of some sort, all we know is that Paul was given this thorn. He had this thorn, and it stayed with him like leprosy for a season. He pleaded with God to take it away. And in the midst of this ordeal, God reveals the true nature of power in the kingdom of God. He says, my grace, Paul, is sufficient for you. For power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul goes on to say, therefore, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I'm weak, then I'm strong. Or in other words, Paul says, like Naaman did, now I know. I get it now. In the kingdom of God, power as we understand power is turned on its head. Power as Naaman wielded power has no place in the economy of the kingdom. And Elisha understood this in his interaction with Naaman. Elisha knew that healing would only come not in conceding to Naaman's attempts to manipulate and buy his own healing. Healing could only come in Naaman's acceptance of Elisha's command to go and wash in the, in the humble waters of the Jordan River. Healing could only come in Naaman's acceptance to go and wash, not to buy or manipulate or control. And so this begs the question for us today, like Elisha with Naaman, in what ways is God inviting us into the healing by giving up control in our lives? Or put another way, in what ways is God inviting you and I to see our weaknesses, not as weaknesses to be controlled and overcome, but the very places in which God can work mightily and miraculously? Let's not forget who the most important person in this story in 2 Kings is. The most important person in this story is not Naaman who commanded armies. Nor Elisha, the prophet who was well known throughout the land. The most important person in this story is that young slave girl from Israel. Who was taken captive and was completely powerless and vulnerable. Knowing her master, Naaman's condition, she initiated Naaman's healing by speaking up. She said, if only my Lord were, the, were, were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. And in the weakness and courage of this young slave girl, the missio day was made visible before us. Yes, Naaman's healing came by God through Elisha's instruction to wash in the river Jordan, but Naaman's healing would never have happened in the first place were it not for the simple courage of this young girl who spoke up even though it could have cost her her own life. She spoke up and invited Naaman into the healing and shalom of God. God's power is made perfect in weakness. And we see that in the story of Naaman. And so as we go from this place and enter back into life as we have it, with our work, with our schedules, our family and friends, our neighbors, I pray that we would be reminded that God's mission, his power to renew and heal all things is always, always made perfect in weakness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.